Welcome to this edition of Elite Conversations, everybody. I'm your host, Annette Gomez. Now, listen to these statistics. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. That's according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. As you know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And joining me now to talk about this subject is Patrice Bryant. Patrice is a toxic relationship recovery coach, a positive mindset and empowerment strategist, and a certified trauma response practitioner, specializing in helping professional women heal from toxic relationship trauma and rebuilding their confidence so they can go on and be loved again. Patrice, welcome to the show. Thank you, Annette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Good to have you. Now, Patrice, before establishing yourself as a recovery coach, you actually dealt with this subject up close and personal. If you can share, if you will, a little about your background, because I think it's a myth that someone that grew up in witnessing domestic violence, they automatically will mirror it but this was not the case with you. You know, Annette, it wasn't. In fact, I grew up in a very loving two-parent Christian household. And so it's five of us, uh, siblings all together. And so I, I really saw the role of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and a father and a mother through my parents. Um, it's kind of like, you know, my parents were the Ephesians five men and woman and my mom was a Proverbs 31 woman. And so that that's what we had growing up. I didn't know what abuse was. I never experienced it in my home. I never witnessed it. And when I was thinking about this, I said, I never even witnessed it outside of my home. So I was just naive and oblivious to what it was because I saw the loving relationship that my mom and dad had and that they modeled for us. And so and I guess in my naivete, if that's a word, I don't know. I thought that all men treat their wives that way because that's what I was used to. That's what I saw. And so when I found myself in an abusive relationship, I really didn't know how to handle it because it's not something that I grew up, like I said, witnessing or experiencing myself. Absolutely. When did you see this? Were you out of high school, in college? When did you... When did you start to see this? I started to see this when I was in college. Um, the gentleman that I eventually married, I met him in the spring of 1990. Um, I was attending Morris Brown College and I had one semester to go. So I actually graduated in December. So anyway, we, we met in May. So we had kind of like a whirlwind romance. We met in May and he moved in with me in June and then we got married in September. Um, so no, I, even in college, I mean, I had a boyfriend in college. He treated me like a queen. Um, so I never experienced that until I met this particular, um, guy. And I have to go back a little bit and say, um, because of the issues that I was dealing with internally and on the outside, I did not like the shell that I was in. I didn't like this heavily melanated skin. I hated it. Didn't love it, didn't like it. And so I had a tendency, and I'm from the South, I'm a Southern Georgia girl. I had a tendency to look at lighter skinned Black men. So if there was a group of men, college guys walking down the sidewalk, whatever, I would zero in on the light skinned one. And so when I met my husband, he was this, he was that complexion. 
I had never seen anybody that looked like him before. And because of the, and I was just surprised when I met him, I met him at Morehouse College. Um, I was attending a graduation actually with a male friend of mine. So when I met him, I couldn't believe that he was interested in me. Like, why would he be interested in me? Um, he's strikingly handsome, charming, those type of things. And so it wasn't until I met him and got involved with him when I started to experience misuse, abuse, violence, those type of things. Let's stop right there because I think that's a really good point to make. A lot of individuals are not willing to admit sometimes it starts with you. It starts yeah. within you. And what I, I don't want, I, I hate to use the word predator, but what they pick up on sometimes is what's lacking. And right. so it, it becomes um, a grooming period. Did you find that there was a grooming period? Because everything's hunky-dory in the beginning. Right. Yeah. You know, you know how it is, Annette, when you meet somebody new and uh, you have conversation with them, you know, you're going through that honeymoon um, phase. Everything is perfect, so to speak. The person is charming, exciting. You're getting to know them. And then that honeymoon stage starts to fade. However, I did notice some things. I did notice that he wanted to spend all his time with me. He wanted to be with me 24-7. Um, at the time, and I know we're probably going to talk about this later, red flags. I didn't know that was a red flag. I would spend all my time with you. Um, he never put me down. He never um, made me feel like I was inferior or anything like that. He never talked about my complexion or anything like that. He was just very charming and chivalrous and, and things like that. And so I just gravitated to him because, again, why would someone who looked like him want someone that looked like me? Correct. Correct. And you, to, to me, you describe possession, but in your head, you're telling yourself, oh, he wants to spend all his time with me. I'm amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. He want to be with me. Not knowing. Hey, girl, it's a red <laughs> Yeah. So how long did you date and then, then you married? So we met in May. We dated May, June, July. He moved in with me in June. And then in September, September 1st, 1990, we were married. We were married. Uh, we were spending a lot of time together um, to the point, we you know, when you're at the point, you just want to spend all your time with this person. You just want to be with them. We did have some times where, you know, we were not going to, we were going to break up and, you know, I beg, I don't want to break up. Let's try to work it out. Those type of things. But it, it was quick. It was very quick. Can you talk about this a little bit, Therese? Because it's interesting. Other people can see it. You can't right. see it. Mm -mm. Now, I guess I have a two-part question. One is, was he allowing you to be around your family? And if you were around family and friends, were they saying, hey, Therese, you might want to watch that? He, uh, well, he was around my brother because my little brother and I were living together. And I remember one time my sister came up to visit me and we were living in Atlanta at the time because, of course, I was still in school. And there was this club back in the day called Club 112. I don't know if people who've been in Atlanta for years remember that club anyway. So she wanted to go to Club 112. And my then boyfriend, who became my husband, he didn't want to go. But he threatened me. He said, if you go out with your sister, I won't be here when you get back. Now, he didn't say it loud enough for my sister to hear. I knew it, but I went out with her anyway. And so my sister, you know, in the brief weekend that she met him, 
listen, this guy came off as charming. Mm -hmm. He came off as very charming, respectful, chivalrous. People who didn't know who he really was, they loved him. Kids gravitated to him. Yeah. He had a great relationship with kids. They didn't see the other side that I saw because he did a good job of hiding it. Revealed it to me, but he did from other. So it's almost like if I tell somebody what's really going on, like, hey, he's being controlling and you know, all of these things, they wouldn't believe it. But I can't see that. Right. I, I can't see that in him. Understood, understood. And yeah. so when did you start to say, okay, something's not quite here. Like, what is this doing to your psyche day in, day out? And so as you're going, as I'm going through the course of marriage and the years that we were together and the abuse went, got worse. It went from emotional to physical, high stress levels, um, the onset of trauma. This was traumatizing to me because I didn't understand why are you treating me this way? What am I doing wrong? You know, um, so and when you're going through that, the trauma it's like, do I freeze? Do I just shut down? I would shut down, say nothing. You know, do I run away? Do I flee or do I fight back? And I tried to at least two out of three of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried to physically fight him one time. He overpowered me. Yeah. A lot of times I would free, I would shut down or I would go into a state of, you know, sadness or depression. So it caused anxiety. I was confused. I didn't understand. This is not what a marriage, the way I saw a marriage in my home and also how I learned about marriage from studying the Bible. Cause you know, we went to, we went to church on a regular basis. This is not what this is. I, it was confusion. It was chaos. Um, I was delusional because I was looking at it through rose colored glasses. And when you look at something through rose colored glasses, it always looks pretty. Even the ugly stuff looks pretty. So in my head, I'm hoping he's going to change. He's going to, I'm going to win him over and he's going to be the man that I need him to be. You know, so holding on. And then I, it was a war between my heart and my mind. Yes. yes. You know, because the Bible talks about your heart being treacherous. Who knows? It's desperate. Who knows it? And, and so them. we're going to change them. We're, we're going, going to change them. They need me. They just need to see me. Nobody understands him but me. I can fix him. He needs my empathy. He needs my support. He needs my compassion. He needs me to be strong and resilient because I can fix him. I can. He will become my father. I just got to hang in there. Give it some time. Hope that he'll be that person. For not only for him, but for us and for our marriage. Your unit. Yes. So 2020's high in sight. Did you see anything in his family that thought, oh, okay, maybe, maybe something's wrong here. Did you see anything in his family? I did. Now, it's interesting that you bring that up because he and I, when we got married in September of 1990, we eloped at the Fulton County Courthouse in Fulton County, Georgia. So. I didn't meet his parents until after we were married. And I remember meeting, yeah, I remember meeting his mom and dad in Atlantic City because he was from New Jersey. We met them in Atlantic City. And I remember his mother having a conversation with me. She said, I wish that I had a chance to talk with you before you married my son. So she knew that he wasn't ready to be a husband. 
she knew her son. She knew he had some toxic, more than likely some toxic traits that he had not worked on. And now you're you're now you've married this 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 girl and brought her into the family and everything like that. Um, the family dynamic, his family dynamic was very different from what I was used to. The mom was more of the stable employed. The father was more unstable, more unemployed. Um, so it was very different, the dynamic from what I saw. And so when I, in hindsight, when I thought about after the fact, I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. Some of the things that he did or the way that he thought his thought process was your parents got it. They just have to give it to us. So instead of you going out and you being, you know, finding stable employment and providing for the family. Okay, she can do it. She got it. She's the one with the degree. She's the one with the stable employment. So while she's doing that, I'm going to pursue my dreams. And I'm not going to be supportive of the family financially, anything like that, because that's what he saw in his house. And at this point, Trees, are you able to share with anybody what you're going through? Because you know how we are. I don't mm -hmm. want anybody to know. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to think this is picture perfect with the picket fence, are you able to talk to anybody at this point? Initially, no. And you know why, Annette? Because I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I felt stupid. Um, I felt alone. Um, and I felt no one would really understand, like, why is she staying in this relationship? You know, she he's he's disrespectful. He's abusive. I don't. And, you know, my best friend, we met her and her then husband in New York one time. And she observed the way that he spoke to me and she didn't like it. And she didn't like him. <laughs> so she got a chance to see firsthand. Oh, you know, he, he speaks to her in a disrespectful tone. But I still did. Even with my best friend, I never told anybody initially what was going on. I just I suffered in silence for a long time until I was ready to reveal what was going on to a dear friend of mine who really helped me. And speaking of suffering in silence, what is this doing to you physically, emotionally, Trice? Because I can't even imagine because you're one way at work and then you drive home, you put the key in the door, you don't know what you're being met with. So it's that tailspin that keeps you kind of in a frenzy the whole time. It does. And it's so funny, you know, that you bring that up because I would go to work with a mask on. So here's my mask. And I'm an educator, school teacher and school counselor. So I, I was working at our local high school in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um and previous before that, I was working at other corporate um, businesses, mainly businesses that sold and serviced copiers and office machines and things like that. So whether I went to work or went to school, I was going with a mask on because I didn't because I'm the type of person I wear. I would wear my emotions in my face. You can look at my face. Trees, what's wrong? You don't you don't look too happy. So I have to put on that mask every day to go to work and pretend like everything was OK. And then I would get a little melancholy at the end of the day, sad because. Now the mask has to come off and I got to go and deal with this reality day in and day out. So nobody knew what I was going through because I hid it as I, I hid it very well. 
And Therese, can you talk about what your absolute last straw was, if you can? Um, I remember, and it was winter 1999, and we had been married for, for nine years. Um, and so I suffered emotional abuse, psychological abuse, the physical abuse, um, to the point where, you know, he would hit me, he would punch me or hit me in places where people couldn't see the bruises, like on my arms, on my back, stuff like that. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, Lord, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I was getting tired. And I remember saying to him, you know, I said to him, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I really don't. And that was in the winter season. And when I kind of went back and reflected on that, Annette, you know, winter is is that season. It's cold. You know, things are dormant. But it also um, it also means an end it, into a year into life, into a relationship. So unbeknownst to me, when I said that to him, that was the process of starting my exit. And so in the spring of 2000, I had just come to a point where I had had enough. And uh, the other thing, and let me go back. The other thing that I knew that was changing for me that let me know, hey, I, I can't do this anymore. I didn't care what he did. He would go out without me, hang out with other guys, take other women out. So when I got to the point where I don't, I don't care where you're going, I don't care who you're going with, I don't care what women you are seeing. When you are not here in this home, I am happy and at peace. When you come back, that's where the chaos and the conflict and confusion comes in. And so I don't, so I still loved him but I didn't like him. I couldn't stand him. I did not want to be in his presence. And for me, it's like, this is not a marriage. I felt like a roommate. He's my roommate because he's coming in. And we only have, for our entire marriage, we only had one car. And so he's, and he controlled it. So, you know, if when he, I was, you know, I'm working, he would drop me off at work, come pick me up, that type of thing. When he did work, whether it was part-time or whatever, you know, he dropped me off, go to work, whatever. So he had the the car the majority of the time. So I just got to a point, Annette, where I did, I don't care what you do as long as you are not here and you're not around me. So it's true when you've probably heard this, Annette, when you're in an unhealthy relationship and you have developed a connection with this person, especially if you have a romantic connection. You start, women start to leave emotionally before they leave physically. So my emotional departure started, really started in the fall of 1999. And my physical departure took place in March of, no, April of 2000. So that's how I knew. I just didn't care. Yeah. And when we come back, Patrice will tell us how she reclaimed her life and how she's helping others change theirs as well. Stay with us. Have you put in place the tools and marketing strategies that will drive the revenue and growth outcomes for your business? Are you looking to expand your brand and image nationally and globally? Commercials, podcasting, graphics, and marketing support are just some of the ways we can dress up your business for prime time. We are EliteConversations.com. 
to learn more about us, check us out at EliteConversations.com, our website, email us at ecpodcastmedia at gmail.com, or call us at 301-900-5703. There are many people that need to know about the wonderful products and services you have to offer. Let Elite Conversations help you to get the word out. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Patrice Bryant, a toxic relationship recovery coach, a positive mindset empowerment strategist, and a certified trauma response practitioner specializing in helping professional women heal from toxic relationship trauma. And Patrice, before break, we were discussing your decision to leave a toxic relationship. And one of the things that you talked about that's so important is control. Talk to us about confusing control with love. I think a lot of people do that. They think that, you know, you need to be here at five o'clock and they confuse that with, oh, he just loves me. No, I think control is the big C and I want you to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So yeah, there is a big difference there um, because um, love is not controlling. Um, And when I talk about love, I have to go back to the Bible. I have to go to, um, I believe it's first Corinthians, um, 13, where it talks about, it gives you all the different qualities of love, how love does not get puffed up with pride. It does not look for its own interest. You know, it does not, you know, it's every, all the things that love does. So that is true love. And even though I I am um, a more traditional woman, and I do believe, you know, in the man being the head of the household and that type of thing, there's a difference. I think people confuse that head of household with control as opposed to loving my wife right. or my spouse or my girlfriend or whatever the case may be. So being that headship does not mean that I call the shots. It doesn't mean I call the shots and you do what I what I say. And if you don't do what I say, then we're going to have a problem. Right. That's not love. That is not love whatsoever. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, women may get that confused. Like, and like you said, oh, he just wants to know where I am. No, that is not true love. That Those are trust and insecurity issues. Correct. There's a difference, Trees, between, Trees, could you let me know when you made it? Right. Did you make it safely? You know, I know you're going down a very dark street, that kind of thing, as opposed to where you been? Why weren't you home? That, that there's... And I think people need to understand there's a difference. Yeah, there's truly really a difference. So the first example is more out of concern and con- uh, out of concern and care for my partner. I want to make sure that my wife is safe. I want to make sure that where she's going, she's going to arrive safely. So that's that's that level of respect and care or concern because I I love you. I don't want anything to happen to you. Um, the other one is I've got some trust and insecurity issues. And let me just go back for a minute. Remember, when I first got married, um, like I said, I was still in school and I had one um, semester to go at Marsh Brown. I had to finish my internship. And I believe if I remember correctly, I did it, did it at Benjamin E. Mays High School. And my mother and father were educators. So my mother always told me, always get in good with the custodians because, you know, whenever you need something, honey, they got you. Everything. And. And I've always been, you know, a, a, a person that's been easy to talk to. So one day I was, you know, working after, I think my my mentor, she had left and I was cleaning up the classroom. He came in and we just started talking. 
And I remember him telling me um, that if a man is accusing you of cheating and sneaking around and doing things, that's because he's doing it himself. And that stuck with me. Absolutely. That stuck with me throughout my relationship because I saw it coming to fruition in my own marriage. And so, yes, there is a difference. Where you been? Where you going? Uh, why you didn't call me? Those type of things. It's not love. That is more control. And that person is having some trust issues, some insecurities, and that they're projecting onto you. Also installing, you know, distilling that fear that if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you. And that's not love. That's not care. That's not concern. So again, I go back to um, that, that scripture about love in the Bible. That is the true definition of love. And if it, if it, it does not match what it says, either you receiving that type of love and even you giving that type of love to your partner, that is not love. That is control. That is domination. And yeah, go ahead. Because <laughs> I was going to say, you know, um, I, I, I listened to Dear Future Wifey podcast from time to time. And one time the subject of submission came up. And I know a lot of times women, when you say submission, it's like, oh, uh, uh, girl, no, I don't want anybody no submission. And it's because a lot of times that submission, when a man wants you to submit to you, um, it has been abused so many times that it has put a sour taste in the mouth of a lot of women. Like, I'm not going to submit to a man. And that's because it's been abused and misused on so many levels. So I just wanted to add that little piece. And Therese, how do you begin to be rebuild your life? Where? How do you start? Um, For me, I had to, I started by rescuing myself. Um, In the spring of 2000, when I finally made the decision to leave, um, I made a phone call to a girlfriend of mine that I met at work and I finally told her what was going on, the full story, but she, you know, I told her what was going on and she invited me to come and, and stay with her and her husband. And I, I received it and I, I, I said, yeah, I'll do it. And then I called my mom and told her what I was going to do. My mom still didn't know everything that was going on. And by the grace of God, he was going out that night. It was a Sunday night. He was going out again. And um, he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, you can drive yourself to work the next, the next day because I had a doctor's appointment after work. Mm -hmm. And so he got ready and went out and I started, I packed a suitcase and I said, I put it in the second bedroom, not our bedroom, but the second bedroom. Cause I was like, I don't know how this is going to work, how this is going to happen. He came home, but he never came into the bedroom, got in the bed. He actually slept on the sofa in the living room. So here I am getting up for work, looking for him. He's in the living room. He's asleep. I'm like, Lord, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get this suitcase down to the car, come back up here and get ready to go to work? So praying about it, putting faith in God gave me the strategy. He never woke up. He never woke up. So I got the suitcase, I took it downstairs, I put it in the trunk of the car, and then I came back upstairs, got ready for work and left. And that was the last time that I saw him. So God gave me strategy. And so for me, it was, I'm rescuing myself. 
I made a decision. And, you know, I do a, a support group at a local domestic violence shelter the first and third Wednesday of every month. And one thing I applaud them for is like, hey, for you to be here in this shelter means that you took your power back because you made a decision. Absolutely. Now, we know average, most women go back at least seven times. And by that seven time, they don't go back. Hoping and praying that by that seven time, they are still alive. Because, you know, you leave, they can stalk you. We, we notice that stalking, murder, those type of things. So if you survive, yeah. Vulnerable period when you just oh very most vulnerable period, and and there is a call to action slogan on the Coalition for Domestic Violence website, which says right. transform wounds into wisdom. This is definitely a process. It was a process for you. So mm -hmm. let's leap into your nonprofit, as I would like to call it, and how you are giving back because I want people to understand, Trees. I think we think it's adult women. It starts very young, and I think the number is dropping and I think you got to get them when they're young. Yes. So let's, let's speak on that transformation a little bit and what you're doing. Okay. So my business is a for-profit business is actually a coaching and consulting business. So it's Patrice Renee LLC. It was started over a little over a year ago. And I decided a long time ago um, to break my silence. Like I'm no longer going to suffer in silence. I'm not embarrassed anymore to tell people my story. I love helping others. That's my calling. And so I'm folks. So my business right now focuses on women in the age group to about 35 to 55. Uh, because when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, it's really difficult to work with you in a capacity of you're ready and committed to, to make that change. And so what I did is I married my teaching and school counseling background along with my own personal experience of toxic relationships and domestic abuse survival. I married them together to form a coaching and consulting business. So what I do is I teach highly motivated, successful women how to uh, break away from toxic relationship trauma, how to recover from that and rebuild their confidence so they can love and be loved again. Because let's face it, we all have four universal needs. And one of those needs is a need for a sense of belonging. Yes. We want to be loved. We want to love and we want to have a sense of community where people accept us and they embrace us in our authenticity. And once you've been through that that type of abusive relationship, that toxic relationship, and not necessarily abuse, just toxic, unhealthy traits that you saw early on, but you stayed anyway, it's, it's a process. It's a journey. And so- Discriminate because people think- It oh, doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. I mean, just look at my background. Yeah. Just look at my background. You know, the way I was raised, I'm educated, I'm, you know- raised in a Christian household. So it doesn't discriminate against your religion or your background, your financial status. Because yeah. you can be a successful woman making six or seven figures, but you're still choosing the wrong type of partner to entertain. And I'm like April Mason said, it's not who you choose to, it's who you choose to entertain. So it's not who you attract, it's who you choose to entertain. And so my business looks at it from a growth mindset model. How do we change our mindset? And we start by working on ourselves because I had to work on Patrice. Right. right. I had to work on her and change her mindset because my view of men, my view of marriage and relationships, even though I had that, that model, that great model, it, it, it got distorted. Yes. 
my view of myself was already distorted. It made it even worse because let me tell you, he would tell me, he said, nobody's ever going to want you except to have sex with you. Mm -hmm. You're not going to ever find anybody like me. Classic. Never. Classic. And before we tell people how to reach you, Trees, mm -hmm. and we're coming to a close, tell me how important having a support team is. And then we're going to tell the audience how to reach you. Ooh, that is extremely important. It's what helped me to get to where I am today. And it helped me to shape me into the woman I am today. I couldn't have done it without number one, God, and leaning on him and my family and close friends. Um, I had a home to go to, to rebuild my life. Um, and so I know a lot of women don't have that. They may have to go to a shelter or something like that. But it's extremely important because we are not meant to go through this alone. We, You know, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 talks about encouraging one another, not forsaking the gathering of ourselves together and encouraging one another. That's support. So whether you're leaning into God or family or friends or an organization, agency, support group, a mentor or guide, it is necessary to have that support in order to get through that healing process to recover from these type of relationships. Absolutely. And tell me how we can reach your organization and learn more about it, Patrice. So on Instagram, you can find me at, um, at underscore Patrice underscore Renee. Um, on Facebook, it's Patrice Renee. And my website is patricerenee.com. That's how you can find me. Beautiful. And I'm glad you found yourself, Trace. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your story and how you turn pain into purpose. There is life after. And I think that's the other message I want people to know. There is life after this. This does not define your future. It does not. And and let me add, it's a beautiful life. Yes. Because we have to remember, even the murkiest waters can produce the most beautiful flowers. I like that. What a <laughs> and thank you, Patrice Bryant, for joining us. Thank you so much, Annette, for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you can also reach the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Have a great night.